Everybody loves an upgrade. Do you like to be upgraded? Do you like to go somewhere and they say, oh, we've upgraded you. We've given you an upgrade. I love it when I get an upgrade. Whether it's on an airplane seat or hotel room, I love to be upgraded. Back in the late 90s and early 2000s, I worked for Marriott Hotel. Some of you know this, who've been paying attention. And I worked for one of their flagship properties in Orlando, Florida, called the Orlando World Center Marriott. 2,000 rooms, nine restaurants, a golf course, and at the time, the largest pool in Orlando. And I worked for the golf pro shop. And one of the perks for working for Marriott is great discounts on hotel rooms. I mean, really awesome discounts. Okay, you get spoiled. During my time at Marriott, Marriott bought the Ritz-Carlton hotels. Okay, you know the Ritz? The Ritz-Carlton, right? So they bought, Marriott bought the Ritz-Carlton family of luxury hotels. And then what happened is the employee discount on hotel rooms extended to the Ritz-Carlton. And so one year when we were at the Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference in California, I said to myself, Let's, we're going to stay a few more days down in, in Southern California. Let's see if I can get the employee rate at the Ritz-Carlton. Laguna Niguel. Laguna Niguel. Sure enough, I was able to get the employee rate at the Ritz for $99 a night. Now, if you know the Ritz, you know that's a really good deal, right? It's a really good deal. I mean, I don't think you could say many places today for $99. And if you did, I don't know, I'm sure, you know, Motel 6 or, you know, they're going to leave the light on for you or something like that. I remember when we arrived to check in, the front desk clerk asked me how I was doing. And I said, I'm blessed because we're just returning from church. I don't know why I said that, but he said, oh, really? What church? I said, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. He said, oh, yeah, I go there. And by the time he was finished checking me in, checking all of us in, our family, we were upgraded to an oceanfront room overlooking the Pacific Ocean. I've got, do I, got, I got a couple pictures. Yeah, this is, this is the Ritz-Carlton, Laguna Niguel. If you are in Southern California and looking for a place to stay, stay there. If you can't afford it, get a job for Marriott <laughs> and then go. And, uh, but, and yeah, go to the next pic. This is the view from the room overlooking the Pacific Ocean. And it was a great, great situation. What an upgrade. What an upgrade. Well, there was another upgrade that happened in the Bible that was perhaps the greatest upgrade of all time. It was the moment the people of God went from having a man who was their priest from the Levitical priesthood to having a high priest who was perfect from the order of Melchizedek, and his name is Jesus. Amen? So the question tonight is, when exactly did this happen? When did this upgrade happen? When did this transfer, if you will, take place? Well, we're going to take a look at that tonight. 
the precise, precise moment the transfer took place and the upgrade happened, and we're going to take a look at what that means for you and for me here tonight in 2019. Amen? All right, so let's take a look at this. The timing of the transfer. When did, it tra when did this transfer, when did this upgrade happen? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 26. We're gonna begin to read at verse 57, and I wanna give you a little background, okay? So here's what's happened so far. Jesus has celebrated the feast of Passover with his disciples, and he's had that whole discourse in the upper room, and you can read about it in... Uh, John 13, 14, 15, 16, all that, this great, uh, what they call the upper room discourse of Jesus. And then they made their way from the feast. Okay, Siri's interfering with the message here, and I don't know what's going to She's looking up John 13, 14, and 15. Um, well, maybe we'll get Siri saved by the end of the, the day, but I, you know, that's questionable. I don't know. We'll, we'll pray, you know, God's in control, right? Um, so where was I? I've lost my, straight, my train of thought. Oh, okay. So the upper room, they celebrated the Passover. They moved from the upper room down across the Kidron Valley up into the Garden of Gethsemane, and there they prayed. And Jesus said, hey, would you pray? Would you pray? And there Jesus prayed, and you can catch all of the, the contact, content of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. After they prayed, you know what happened. Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot with a kiss. He was arrested by the Roman guard, and he was taken into custody on that particular night. And then when he was taken into custody, he was brought before the Sanhedrin, which is the religious council, and he was brought before the Sanhedrin and the high priest. And the high priest at this time the time that Jesus was alive was a man named Caiaphas. He was the high priest of Israel, the high priest in the order, in the Levitical order, the Levitical priesthood, okay? So that brings us to verse 57 of Matthew 26, and it says this, and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And a high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, it is as you said, Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, 
saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, he's deserving of death. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with their palms of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? So here in Matthew chapter 16, we see the account. This is the account of where we really see the, this, this transfer, this great transfer. Jesus, of course, he has been arrested and he goes in and he's taken in before. It's like a trial. He's taken in as in this trial before the, the council of the Sanhedrin, specifically before the, the ruling council and the high priest. And again, the high priest name, he was a man and his name was Caiaphas. And Jesus was brought before Caiaphas, as we've just read, and, and, and the text said that we just read, even though beforehand there were many witnesses, there were all, they, they had no shortage of witnesses. Once they bring him in, they, they're scrambling around trying to find witnesses, trying to witness. Reminds me of some things that happen in our country sometimes, right? Well, what really happened here? Oh, it's a made-up story. Um, so they couldn't find any witnesses, and then it says there in the, ta- the, t- the text, at last they found they found some. And they found some, some people that were willing to testify against this. And they said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple and to build it in three days. And this is, of course, Jesus actually did say this. Um, not exactly this, but I'm going to read you the exact quote from the Gospel of John. It's found in John chapter 2, verse 19. We'll throw it up on the screen behind me. And this is actually what it says. Jesus answered and said to them, this is actually the context of this verse, is when he went into the temple and he overturned the tables. Remember that? Remember when he went in and he overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple there? And they were questioning him and basically said, well, by what authority? By what authority do you have to do this, all all this? And he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. So now, fast, this was at the beginning of his ministry in John chapter 2. Fast forward all the way three and a half years later, and now you have him. He's before the Sanhedrin. They bring in the, these witnesses, and they're saying, look, this is what Jesus said that he was going to do. Now, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Now, you have to keep in mind, we've been talking in our series about the wilderness tabernacle. In the Old Testament, the one in, that Moses was instructed by God to build, and, and there they were after, uh, they were led by Moses and brought out by God from the land of Egypt from slavery, God, right? And now God's trying to teach him how to worship. He's trying to teach him how to depend upon him. He's trying to teach him everything. And he has them to build this tabernacle that was going to be this portable tent and was going to be his dwelling place amongst his people in, in, in Israel, we fast forward to the time of Jesus and it's no longer a wilderness tabernacle, but now it's, a, it's an actual physical structure. It's a tent, it's a temple. It's a temple made of stone, wood, and, 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 and precious metals, gold. All oh, the gold of the temple. Oh my goodness, if we had that gold, the gold of the temple. That'd be one of the, it'd be one of the, um, it'd be one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest building on the face of the earth, probably. Uh, just with the gold that was that, that made the temple. So, uh, so this is this is what happened. So they brought forth the the, the false uh, witnesses, 
After they did that, then Caiaphas questioned Jesus and he asked if he was going to respond to the charges of the witnesses. Are you just going to sit there? Are you going to say anything? And the text says, and Jesus was silent, right? Jesus was silent. I like that. I, I like how the, the Holy Spirit working through the apostles and writing the gospels was so great in delivering us these very specific messages because it tells us that Jesus was silent. Here he was being accused. The accusations were coming against him. And here it says, and Jesus was silent. And it's a fulfillment of prophecy, right? Because the, the prophet Isaiah prophesied this. And so before, as the sh uh, sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. That was prophesied 800 years before uh, Jesus stood in that moment. It was, it was the silence of the lamb, right? The silence of the lamb. And, uh, and so Jesus was silent. But then Caiaphas pref presses him. And uh, he presses him and he says, look, I've got you under oath. I have, I have brought you under oath. This is, a, this is, a, this is a, an official proceeding. You're under oath. What are you going to say? Are you the, the, the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Is this who you say that you are? Are you the, the, and he said, are you the Christ, the son of God, right? Remember how he said that. So Caiaphas asked him, Jesus, are you the Messiah, the son of the living God? And so the question is, what was Jesus' answer to the question? You saw it there. Jesus answered the question, and I'm going to throw it up on the screen behind me. Matthew 26, verse 64. It says this, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now after this, Caiaphas, the high priest, tore his clothes. You saw it in the clip, right? He said, he stood there stunned for a second. Stunned. And he's like, ah! And then he tears his clothes, tears those, that outer garment, just rips it down. He says, look now, you have heard his blasphemy. Now, why exactly was this blasphemy? And as I just put that verse up there, most people today in 2019 or for probably the last long, long, long time would read that and say, okay. You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Yeah, seems like, you know, wow, what, what's so bad about that? What's so, what's so blasphemous about that? In Jesus' answer, he associated himself with the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7. The question was, Jesus, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? And he said, no, no, no. My answer is this. I am the, you will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. And so here's the thing. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel had a vision of four earthly kingdoms that will arise one after the other, and they will arise to, to, to prominence, to world domination, and then they will also fall. Then at the conclusion of the vision of these four kingdoms that would success, successively rise and fall that, are, that were signified by the, these four beasts, so you hear the, about the four beasts of Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7, they represented four earthly kingdoms. 
then after the, the, the fourth kingdom had arose, there is mentioned someone else who will be given an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that will not come to an end. So we're gonna, I'm actually going to read parts of Daniel 7 for you because I want you to see this. I'm not going to read the first part because that's all about, all about the four beasts, the four earthly kingdoms that would arise one after the other in world domination. But then picking it up, verse 9, and I'll have these verses on the screen for you. Daniel 7, pick it up, verse 9. It says this, And I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated, and his garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool, and his throne was a fiery flame, and its wheels a burning fire. Verse 10, a fire, fiery stream issued and came forth before him. Ten thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court was seated, and the books were opened. And I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. That's the, actually the Antichrist there. The pompous words of this little horn that came out of this last beast. And it's actually a, a, a revived version of that fourth beast. But we don't have time to do biblical prophecy tonight. Okay, so just follow along. Um, as for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Daniel 7, 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Now, you say, what's so, what was so blasphemous about what Jesus said? This is shocking for a lot of people to hear because we don't know, we, we're, we're not aware of the context, we're not aware of the verbiage. But to claim to be the son of God was not the blasphemous claim because there were sons of God. Adam was a son of God. In the Old Testament, there were the, 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 those in the angelic realm that were the heavenly beings that were the B'nai Ha Elohim, the sons of God. So to claim to be the son of God was not the blasphemous claim. The blasphemous claim was the claim to be the son of man, the son of man and the fulfillment of Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter seven and to be the very one that would proceed from the throne of God and have a dominion given to him that would be a, 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 an all-encompassing kingdom that would be over all the earth, over every tongue, over every people, and that it would never come to an end. And this is what Jesus said. So you wanna know what Jesus actually said to Caiaphas? This is what Jesus said to Caiaphas in that moment. And so it was blasphemy. It was blasphemy. So what did Caiaphas, the high priest, do? What was his response to Jesus' statement? He tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. Now the question is, what does this mean? What does this mean, this tearing of clothes? You read in the Bible and you come to these different passages and you see people tearing their clothes. Now, people today tear their clothes. Well, actually, they buy their clothes already torn for them. And this is supposed to be high fashion. 
You know, back in our day, right, we, we wore jeans. We got holes in our jeans because we wore them out, right? Now you can buy yourself holy jeans and all kinds of stuff, and it's great. Of course, when I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a kid, anybody here remember Tough Skins? Sears, from Sears, okay? These were the jeans for kids, for boys, and they had like the reinforced knees. So we just dare you, boy, to bear, just burn a hole in these knees. You know, you're gonna, it's going to be tough tough sledding to, burn, to get a hole in these. But anyways, why did people tear their clothes? They ripped apart their clothes, and this has happened, you know, just to give you a few examples. Jacob ripped his clothes. Job ripped his clothes. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of examples of people ripping their clothes. They ripped apart their clothes to express strong emotions such as shame, anger, or even mourning. And so this was probably this was probably a little bit of all that. This was probably shame. It was probably really heavy-duty anger, and it was probably mourning in that sense. So they ripped their clothes, and this is this is why they would do it. And this is specifically why Caiaphas ripped his clothes. He it was probably you know when I really think about it, you probably say it's probably more out of anger. Like who is this that's calling himself? What Daniel said in Daniel 7, the one who's going to have a kingdom that's never going to come to an end, this is just pure blasphemy, and he rips the garments of the high priest. Now, the only problem with the high priest ripping his clothes, as compared with anyone else in Israel ripping their clothes, was that it was specifically against the law for the high priest to rip his clothes. You say, what? Really? Yeah, there's, there's a code of conduct that was written in the statutes in the Torah, in Leviticus, about the conduct of the Levitical priesthood. And in that code of conduct, and it's found in Leviticus 21, there's actually a statute that t- says that the high priest cannot tear his clothes. And I'm going to throw it up on the screen for you so that you can see it. Leviticus 21, verse 10. He who is the high priest among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil was poured, and who is consecrated to wear the garments, the the, the garments of the priesthood, the garments of the high priest, shall not uncover his head, nor tear his clothes. There you go. It's right there in the Torah right there in the Torah that you should have had up on your little phylacteries and your little scrolls written down with your little Leviticus on your head. You didn't realize that you were literally breaking the law yourself. This is the religious law of Israel. He broke the law in that sense. So Caiaphas broke the law himself in his responses to Jesus' statement. But see, Caiaphas meant that as kind of like, well, well, this is the most egregious thing I've ever heard. This is the most ridiculous, it's the most blasphemous thing I've ever heard. Ah! Ripping his clothes. But it was more than just him out of anger or shame or whatever it was. It was more than just that emotion, that raw emotion, and it, was, it, it meant more than just that, and it meant more than even the fact that he broke the law of Leviticus. It was more than that. At that moment, the priesthood was transferred. 
At that moment, the priesthood was transferred from the Levitical order to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I want to stop right now, and I'm going to... How many are with me? Raise your hand if you're with me. Now, I just said the order of the Levitical priesthood and the order of the Melchizedek priesthood. Now, here's the thing. People will get all excited, and they'll know all about the orders of the Jedi, and they'll know what I, I'm talking to you about the order of the Levitical priesthood and the order of the Melchizedek priesthood, okay? At this moment, if this was Star Wars, okay, this would be a moment that something happened in the universe, okay? Something did happen. It was the greatest transfer. It was the greatest upgrade that ever happened in the earth. And it was this, the moment when the Levitical priesthood was transferred to the order of the order of Melchizedek. Amen? Now, A.W. Pink, commentator, said this about this particular happening of this transfer. He said, in his exposition uh, on the Gospel of John, he said this, in this act, Caiaphas did, unknown to himself, intimate or express that God had rent or torn asunder the Aaronic priesthood. A garment is only torn to pieces by its owner when he has no more use for it. So in this moment, something significant happened. God had no more need for the Aaronic priesthood. He had no more need for the priesthood of the Levitical order. And he was bringing in a new order of priests that was in the order of Melchizedek. Because the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek was literally standing there in front of Caiaphas. You say, what? The Messiah would not be a priest in the Levitical order. He would be from the order of Melchizedek. We see this in Psalm 110. In Psalm 110, Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm that talks all about the Messiah. And in verse 4, it says this, And the Lord, Yahweh, has sworn and will not relent, speaking to, speaking to Messiah, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The, did, did you have that up on the screen? Great. I didn't even give you the clue, and you were right, Q, and you were right there with me. Awesome. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The great high priest was there ready. This great high priest, the great high priest of the order of Melchizedek, was now ready. He was now in position. He was now ready to offer the perfect sacrifice. He was ready and able and willing and now the transfer was happening and he was going to be our great high priest that was going to go in to the Holy of Holies, not in the temple made by human hands, but the literal dwelling place of God. He's going to go in, not under by the blood of, of sacrifice, bulls and lambs. He's going to go into the Holy of Holies, the real Holy of Holies in heaven by virtue of his own shed blood. And he's going to carry that blood in and he's going to make an atoning sacrifice. He's going to make the atonement for you and me. Amen? Now, the high priest who lives forever was taking over for the weaker priesthood of Levi and the Aaronic high priest. The writer of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews chapter 7. I'm going to read a little bit from Hebrews 7 for you, and then I'm going to put a couple of those verses up there to highlight for you. But picking it up at verse 22, if you want to follow along, he says this, by so much more, well, let me give you a little bit of background here. 
the context of Hebrews 7 is he's literally comparing, he's literally saying there's, there's another priesthood. You had the, the Levitical priesthood, but, but, but that's going to be done away with because there's a better one. Well, wait, well, why do we need a better one? What's, what's going on here? We need a better one. Trust me, this is a major upgrade. The transfer happened. We've got a better priest, and it is awesome. This is what he's saying. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety for a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Picking it up, verse 26, we'll throw it up on our screen. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Verse 27, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. That is all to say this, that this transfer brought in the perfect priest, the perfect high priest, right? And he administered this covenant and he made, he, 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 he did the whole thing. Jesus did the whole thing. I mean, he's the priest, he's the sacrifice, he administers it, he wore the garments, he's got the whole outfit on, he's ready to go in, he's ready to do the whole thing. And this is what he does. And he's unlike this other priesthood that, that you know, was kind of a model. It was kind of a, kind of told us a lot about what was going to happen. But it was insufficient to actually get the job done. Because you always needed a priest. You always needed a high priest. Well, that high priest died. Well, who's the next one? Get another one in there. And he's going to keep making the sacrifices. And oh, he died. Okay, now we need another one. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is seven. We had to go through all these years and we had to keep on getting more and more priests and more and more priests and more and more priests until finally one came who was perfected, who was perfect, and he's of the order of Melchizedek. And he's going to be in this office of high priest forever and ever and ever. He's going to endure on. And he gives the perfect sacrifice. Amen. He sheds his blood. He has that atoning work for our sins. And it's an incredible, an incredible job. And so Jesus is the perfect high priest. He's the perfect representation for you. So when you go to stand before God, when you go to stand before the courts of heaven, we talked about this a few weeks ago, about needing uh, an attorney uh, in court, right? When you get up to heaven, you're going to need a representation, and there's only one person that can rightfully do the job, and his name is Jesus. The, John, in his epistle in chapter 2, he calls him the advocate. He calls him the righteous advocate. We have a, a righteous and holy legal counsel and representation who's not only the perfect counsel and all that, but he perfectly paid the price and, 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 and made atonement for our transgressions. And so we can stand there, and Jesus can say, this one's mine. This one's mine. And so he is the perfect representation for our behalf, on our behalf. Which brings us to one last little thing. So 
the transfer of the high priest from the Levitical order, from the Levitical high priest Caiaphas to Jesus, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That transfer happened. But there's one more transfer that needs to happen. And that's the transfer in our lives specifically. We have a, it's, the, it's the transfer of our clothes. Amen? The transfer of your clothes. The priests, so you had the high priests, and we went through all those special garments, right? Well, the priests, the, kind of the under priests, if you will, for lack of a better way to say it, the, 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 the Levitical family, they also had proper garments that they were to wear to serve in their office as priests. They weren't the high priest, but they were a priest and they served at the tabernacle and they served at the temple. So they had special garments as well. They had uh, tunics, trousers, sashes. They had their own turbans to wear. And, and these garments were made of linen. Now, very quickly, linen in the Bible depicts righteousness. Uh, white linen depicts righteousness. And so their, their, their tunics depicted the salvation of the priesthood and righteousness and therefore the salvation of Israel. So when, so when you see the priesthood all there in their, their, their righteous linen tunics, they're all, it's the salvation of Israel, right? Which I close with this. We're going to bring it down to this. Jesus taught a parable. And it's recorded for us in Matthew's gospel. He told a parable about a king who had a wedding feast. And in this wedding feast, uh, each guest was provided with a special garment, a special wedding garment. And when the king entered and he saw one man who did not have the wedding garment on, he asked the man why he did not have the wedding garment. Why do you not have the proper attire? Why are you not in the proper clothes? What, what, what's going on here? How, how did you get in here? Why are you here? Why don't you have the wedding garment on? And the king asked him. And the text says there in Matthew 22 that the man was speechless. See, a lot of people think that they're going to come to God with all their reasoning. And they're going to give God a piece of their mind. Or they're going to crack jokes. They're going to be like Bill and Ted. You know, when they stand before the throne of God and sing like rock and roll lyrics, you know, from Poison, right? Every rose has its thorn and stuff like that. It ain't going to be funny. In fact, you're not even going to be able to open your mouth. Just like this man who was without proper garment, he was speechless before the king. He was speechless. The king then ordered the man to be cast into outer darkness. He could not attend the wedding feast without the proper attire, the wedding garment. The wedding garment represents, it's the same, in the picture of that parable, it's the same as the picture of the, the, the garment of the priest. It's that linen robe. We see it in Revelation where the, the saints are dressed in the white linen robes of righteousness, that you receive the robe of righteousness. And so you're not gonna be able, you can't crash the party you can't quest, crash the red, wet, wet, wedding party. There's no wedding crashers, okay? There's no wedding party crashers. Tweet that out, okay? No wedding crashers, no party crashers. 
You've got to have an invitation. You've got to respond to the invitation. You've got to have the right clothes. And you've got to come to the right person, the, the person of Jesus Christ who can give you the clothes. He can give you the right clothes. So, you see, people might think, well, I, what if I don't want those clothes? What if I don't, I don't think I need those clothes? I don't, I don't want those clothes. I like my own clothes. I mean, look at these clothes. These are nice. I made them myself. You know? Where I, 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 I bought them from so-and-so. I got them on Fifth Avenue. I got them on Worth Avenue. I got them on Rodeo Drive. These are nice clothes. I need these clothes. These are clothes. Aren't these clothes good enough? And people will say, I've got my own clothes. But did you know that the Bible says that our own righteousness apart from God is as filthy clothes, as dirty clothes, our own clothes. You say, well, no, these aren't filthy clothes. Your own clothes without God are filthy rags. You need the wedding garment to get into the wedding party. Amen? And so you've got to know Jesus Christ. You've got to come through him. And he's ready, willing, and able to forgive you, to cleanse you, to size you up for his robes of righteousness, to place those robes upon you. Remember when the prodigal son came home? What did he do? He's yelled out to his servants. He said, kill the fatted calf. We're having a party tonight. And it says he put a robe on his son and a ring on his finger. Amen? And that's exactly what God does when we come to him through Christ. Christ is there. He forgives us. He, he applies that atoning work that he made on the cross to us. He gives us his robes of righteousness. And there we are, not with our own clothes, but with his robes of righteousness. Now, make one more point. One more point. For those, anybody else that says that, you know, they want to hold on to their own clothes. Let me tell you about the, your own clothes. You may think that you're comfortable in those clothes. You may think that it's high fashion. You may think that it's this and that and all that, okay? But let me tell you what it is and what the Bible calls it. The Bible says that you have a, that you have a, a, a spirit of heaviness. That those clothes, literally, they're, they're heavy clothes. You think you're wearing around, you're strutting your stuff, but you, the Bible says there's a spirit of heaviness that you've got. And God says, I want to take that. Give me that jacket. Give me that spirit of heaviness. If you'll just give me that spirit of heaviness right now, I'll take it from you and I'm going to give you a, a coat. I'm going to put a coat on you and it's a, it's a, it's a coat of, of praise. It's a coat of salvation. It's a coat of righteousness. It's a robe of, it's a clothes that's going to that's gonna put something in your heart that, that, that really you can get excited about. Something that you, can, that you can truly break through with. No matter what's going on in your life day by day, moment by moment, whatever the ups and downs, you can break through because you've got the clothes 
clothes. You've got the robes of righteousness on. And you've made that trade. And Jesus has made that transfer. And he stepped you up, not to Fifth Avenue, not to Rodeo Drive or Worth Avenue, not doing that. But he has stepped you up to the streets of gold up on high where you are going to be with him forever. And you are going to be with him, the son of man who's coming up on the clouds, who is going to rule and reign forever and ever and ever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Okay? Amen. Rob, you told me to go for it. Okay. <laughs> it's your fault. Let me take a... Thanks for the water. Living water. Amen. Man, when we grasp a whole of what Jesus has done for us and what he's given to us, you know... Let's close with this. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, Monday morning, don't wake up, oh, no, it's Monday. Oh, no, it's Monday. Wake up, it's, on, it's Monday. What am I going to put on? Well, I've got my robes of righteousness. I've got, the, I've got the, the, the robes that Jesus gave me. I've got the crown on my head. I've got everything that he says that I am and I'm walking out into my life and I'm walking out as a victor. I'm walking out as a conqueror. I'm walking out as, as Paul put it, more than a conqueror, amen, because I'm in him. And so, Christian, we've got every reason. We've got every reason to give him the glory and praise. We've got every reason to live for him today. We've got every reason to set aside the weights and the sins that so easily beset us, the things that want to slow us down and, 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 and turn our, our, our gaze from this side to this side. But we need to set our eyes on Jesus and we need to fix our eyes upon the prize and for the upward calling of Christ. Amen? Amen. And he's got so much for us. I could go on and on and I'm so cranked up right now. I could just you know sit down and I'll preach for another 45 minutes. <laughs> Amen. But that's some good stuff tonight. Amen. That's some good stuff. So be encouraged. Be lifted up in him tonight and encourage one another. And let's pray.